0: Welcome to Engineering Stories, a podcast presented and produced by Silver Fox and the Institute of Engineering and Technology. This week's guest is Rebecca Selick, director of Selick Rail Limited. Rebecca has spent her entire career in the rail industry, a career that began when she was part of an exchange with French railways, allowing her to work in Paris for three months. Since then, Rebecca has worked in a variety of roles, including frontline train maintenance, consultancy, as well as R&D and innovation. So without further ado, let's get to it. Hello and welcome to Engineering Stories. I'm Alex and I'm the head of R&D at Silver Fox. I'm an electrical and electronic engineering graduate from the University of Bath. And alongside we have my co-host, Connor Maringalo.
1: Hi, I'm Connor Maringalo and I'm an electronic and communications engineering student from the University of Kent, recently graduated. And I'm going to be joining Airbus Defence and Space as a robotic systems engineer. And today we have Rebecca.
2: Hi, I'm Rebecca. And I um, have a master's in engineering economics and management from the University of Oxford. And I'm working for CELIC Rail, my own company, and I'm also um, part-time employed by Cordell Limited. Brilliant.
0: Well, why don't, you, why don't you start by by telling us a bit about CELIC Rail and what they do?
2: Okay, CELIC Rail does engineering innovations and business stuff. So um, the key thing is that we take people with great ideas who often um, small companies um, outside the railway industry and companies that are already in the industry. But generally, we we know about stuff that's going on that is exciting in innovations. And we know about the engineering of the railway industry, having been working in it for 35 years. And um, we put the two together and stir and come up with some exciting projects that make the railway better and um, a good business for people.
1: What uh, sparked your initial interest in engineering out
2: of curiosity? I suppose um, back at school, uh, I've always loved maths and physics and uh, everything else. Um, So to an extent, I was hedging my bets. (laughs) If I do um, maths and physics and then if I do engineering, then I could always do something else afterwards. Um, But uh, I wanted to do something that was useful and creative and this um, making the world better thing.
1: What would you say... For you, um, like ideally, when you say making the world better, um, is there anything in particular that you think about when you say that?
2: Yes, I suppose I I didn't think at the time, but what I've got really passionate about is um, sustainable transport. If you look at climate change, where are the big areas that we can make a difference? Well, as engineers, we can make a difference everywhere. Um, But treading more lightly in terms of our transport needs and doing public and active transport um you know walking cycling catching a train and um, doing things uh, catching buses collectively that's that's what excites me um because that's a sustainable way of 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 doing things um and how to join that up with making nice places to be to walk around um to live in um because they're not full of fumes um and there's a sort of human face of it and because we're healthy because we're wandering around and it's interactive it's sociable because we're meeting up with people i mean. I meet some very interesting people on the train, um, <laughs> and uh, and all that. It's it's fun. So that's that's what I've got into more since.
0: Rebecca, are you one of those people that goes and talks to people while on the train?
2: Oh, um, oh, I do a lot of eavesdropping first.
1: Oh, I'm the same. I do that. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, you got to position yourself in a good seat. That's the key. Always position yourself <laughs> in a good seat, and you can hear everybody. I agree. <laughs> Out of curiosity, um we've talked about like net zero in our previous podcasts. Um it's kind of like a similar question that we ask people who like like with climate change and stuff like that. Um where do you think we're at with net zero and how far do you think we're away from being at net zero?
2: Oh, incredibly long way away. Um mm-hmm. Uh, we we just haven't done we're still headed for more than one and a half percent one and a half degrees sorry um rise aren't we and it, it's ridiculous so there's in the moment there's big promises oh yeah we'll be yeah. carbon neutral by uh ooh, by next month you know geez. <laughs>
0: um
2: but the people don't know what carbon zero means and they don't mm-hmm. know how to implement that and that's where a kind of think pathways for engineers to say actually that means this and yeah. life isn't all misery and horrible it's really <laughs> exciting and um this is how we can do it it's um it's a great boost for um innovation um and to see that as a as a challenge but it you know it needs funding and and the more you fund it the more efficient it gets you mm-hmm. know the sort of sometimes I tell people the story about solar panels because that was terribly niche terribly expensive terribly inefficient and then low if you put more money in engineering effort into it it gets hugely better yeah and hugely yeah. cheaper um and now you know it's it you know we were more than half renewables one day last year or something weren't we so or yeah so and wind power and all sorts of things have happened mm-hmm. um but it needs some willpower um to, more than anything political will
1: mm-hmm, to enable
2: yeah. the engineering to sit behind so that we can build business cases and work on it
1: Do you think it's a, um, from from what you've just said, um, do you think that uh, net zero is more of a political challenge than an engineering one? So do you think if, for example, uh, the governments of the world decided to give a group of engineers unlimited funds, do you think we could manage it? Or do you think that it's a technology
2: difficulty as well? And a human one, even if we had, because the political will is to do with people, isn't it? Mm. It's not just like... Uh, politicians in charge so we we don't need masses amount of money as engineers there's the kind of um, engineers i think people who can who can do for a five or any fool can do for 50 quid Mm
0: -hmm. that's a good kind of thing so
2: sometimes the small amount of money is thing but we need certainty that's helpful if you're in a business case actually if i'm going to be bothered to invent this thing for a fiver i need to know you're going to buy it still um otherwise i'm i'm wasting my time and, I, and the loan that i took out for that fiver i'm not going to get back so i need i need certainty so policy certainty that's what we need from the politicians and mm-hmm. we need their help to engage the public in understanding stuff so yeah. that they can yeah. embrace it more willingly you know and I'm, I'm heartened by stories like smoking you know i'm mm-hmm. so old that um, uh, you know, it used to be commonplace to, to to smoke and it used to be in- acceptable. And if you yeah, didn't yeah. smoke, you were the undesirable because you weren't taking part, you were kind of out there, antisocial. And to have turned that entirely on its head, so people who are smoke, who do smoke are generally seen as being antisocial. And I don't want mm. you to take that personally, Conor. I, know, I have no idea whether you smoke or not. No, I do <laughs> not. I do not
1: smoke. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the point being, you can change the public. You can yeah. change the mindset. And yeah. if it's, I would like it to be seen as seriously antisocial yeah. to get in a car and travel a mile, yeah. that's yeah. disgusting. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so from our information, we've seen that you had a sponsorship. Could you talk to the audience more about that?
2: Yes. Okay. So way back and back of beyond, <laughs> Um I was excited about doing something practical to have a year out I didn't want to go straight to university so I never had a grand plan I never had had a grand plan but I could see that I wanted a year out between school and university and I thought the best way to get an interesting one is to get a sponsorship so i have a year and you know I'm not doing it just for the sake of it but I shall You know, I I do want the year out and I'll see how it goes. So it's this thing about holding quite lightly. Well, I could carry on that way or I could not, you know. So I felt much happier when I had this like, oh, I don't have to commit forever. So I looked around for who I was wanted to work for. And I did have some some strong visions that I didn't want to work for the Ministry of Defence. I didn't want to work on any sort of... um, um, Uh, defense sort of thing in that industry. And I didn't want to do nuclear power either because I didn't think that was well enough sorted Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what the whole life of that was and the risks and things. And so I looked around other places and I looked at who has got, uh, who can I believe in? So who's got um, accreditation from the institution of mechanical engineers and the IET um and who will take me towards chartership if that's a path i do go down mm-hmm. so I, mm-hmm. I and then i uh, that gave me a short list then which was really helpful mm-hmm. and and i went through and i said oh they look interesting they look interesting and i wrote off to people in the olden days about letters um and I I um not seventy two page it.
0: application forms.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it's very interesting I, work, I, work, I, you know, I got sponsored by this firm called British Rail, as it was then. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with Great Britain's British Railways as it's going to be. But um this um I was not a train spotter, seriously. And they did um really not want train spotters. So um, that was kind of, so please just be clear. I please, no, Look, no, uh, you can see this on the audio. I am not wearing an anorak. Um,
0: <laughs> so, um,
2: <laughs> but it was the whole thing about public service and mm-hmm. offering this. And I thought, yeah, I like that. And sometimes yeah, you have yeah, to yeah. sort of have it suggested as an idea before you go, yeah, that makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah. I like that. Um, and better still, they offered me uh, sponsorship. so <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. So,
0: so when you were looking for for your for your job before before uni, um, did you have any guidance as to, as to what you should what you should do?
2: Yeah, I had this um, hot tip from Mrs. Barker, who is my form teacher. Uh, I don't know if she's still alive anyway, um, but in, when I was in the... in the, um, she is, what, I now, hope she's listening. <laughs> when I was just coming up to my what was GCSE equivalents, mm-hmm. and it's the only day I ever missed assembly at school, she held me back and said, um, uh, do you realise there are rough men in engineering? And I said, uh, uh, Mrs. Barker, thanks for the tip, whatever. And I thought, afterwards, I thought I should have said, yes, why do you think I want to do it? (laughs) (laughs) But but I didn't think of that at the time. I just thought she is so out of touch. She's got no idea. But I think there are a lot of people still like that. Um, So this whole thing about testing out what it was like. So I got an opportunity of a taster week at Salford University after my um, GCSEs. Which was really useful because it was a mix of university and industry, and it helped me see that could I do this? I played with some things in the in an engineering lab, mm-hmm. some thin film technology, and I put this layer on. I was like, "Oh, this is really exciting, and I can do it, and I, and I get this." So that then gave me the confidence that um, this was the sort of thing I could do, and it was sort of that background that made me think oh well I, I you know i can apply for sponsorships and and i can do that and and they also said that you had to have um a place at university so i thought like i have I've definitely got if it doesn't if it's the wrong thing and i do it for a year and it's the wrong thing i've still got my place at university so i'm not yeah, yeah. beyond that
0: you mentioned uh men being, dominating engineering how how have you seen that change over your i think you said 35 years
2: uh, yes since i was 18 um I think bits it's it's very odd how there are bits that have changed and bits that haven't and um it's 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 really not being an an issue for me i mean what was really interesting in my year out when we're all wearing overalls navy overalls apart from one lad of course who had green overalls that nobody told us what color to get but there was one guy in our year that didn't but anyway the rest of us all looked the same and um people sort of sometimes a bit kind of patronizing towards us because they'd say stuff like uh you know well well there duck you know whatever and i and i thought oh is that a sexist comment and then i heard they were saying it to the to the lads as well the boys so right. i thought oh we'll do it for girls and boys that's all right then it's just the fact that we're young and we're a bit green even if we are wearing navy overalls we are actually all quite green mm. so um that that that, that that, and that kind of realisation that you don't have to get um, upset about things <laughs> and you get treated, you often get treated the way the last person that looked a bit like you was, the last young person that was there or nowadays, the last old person that was there in my case.
1: <laughs> you seem very, um, from speaking, you seem very um, determined and I just kind of wanted, like, with the, the whole net zero and your climate change motivation, I just wanted to know where that stems from.
2: Gosh, I've no idea. It's just, um, <laughs> I just, I suppose I was a bit bothered about fairness mm-hmm. because, um, uh, I, I, yeah, it's really old and really obscure, but I had to do, um, where I lived, we had to do an exam when we were 10 that mm-hmm. Told us to go to different sorts of secondary schools, grammar
1: schools, and grammar schools, schools, and, schools and secondary yeah. modern and, yeah. and secondary
2: modern. All of them were state schools. Mm-hmm. And I was, and the, the the 20% of us that were um selected for grammar schools mm-hmm. got more money spent per person on our education than, than the 80% who were selected for secondary modern schools. Mm-hmm. And I was so shocked that I thought that was appalling, that was so totally unfair and totally Mm -hmm. wrong because i mean there are all sorts of reasons like age 10 is not a good prediction of anything Mm -hmm. it's the wrong test to do at the wrong time in the wrong way and and how dare they spend a different amount of money on on people so i'm kind of that motivation to um that's not fair um and and it's not fair you know and i'm the beneficiary of that and and in a lot of ways you know i'm um I, I'm white. I live in a affluent country. um You know, just the, how I ha- where I happen to be born and when and to whom is just like uh, all not fair. So um I, to hold that humbly and to say, you know, I, I've got a load of advantages that I should try and make the most of what I got and and try and change the unfairness that I see and the wrong. The overuse of resources in in this country and the the impact that climate change has on very poor countries and very poor people who who don't have anywhere to go literally when the waters come up and and overwhelm their islands i suppose
1: (laughs) well that's a lovely reason to be completely honest (laughs) for originally saying you don't know (laughs) that's a very good reason (laughs) um our, our other bits of information does um, stem from Paris. Uh, what was that like then? Um, can you talk to, can you tell the viewers about Paris, for example, and like what what oh, I mean yeah, by this that? Just,
2: <laughs> yeah, it was just so exciting. So, um, should I stay with British Rail? I had a year out, I had a great time and I thought, gosh, they offer a, essentially I get a holiday job every summer holiday from the u- university and it's well paid and it's interesting. What's yeah. not to like? <laughs> so I stuck with it and I got and I graduated. And the, and just before I graduated, um, there was this opportunity came up to do an exchange with French railways um, on um, SNCF on the TGV, which is still there. You know, it was the it was the second generation TGV. The, uh, actually, there's a picture of it behind me. There you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> very good for those listening. Yeah. Um, but um, so. I, um I, I did this exchange placement to to paris and that was so interesting because i'd worked by then in a number of different british railways depots and i could really see the difference because um there so many parallels and so many differences but they had some um ultrasonic equipment which enabled you to send uh, an ultrasonic pulse down a wire and see where the break in it was so know. when we're fault finding, there's the desk at the in, in you're in the cab and you're going, okay, so where might where might this straight earth be or the this dodgy connection be? It's an intermittent fault you know, which covers shall I start taking off, which bits of the train shall I undo to have a look for it? and what am I looking for a dodgy connection it's like, But the kit that they had, which cost thousands of pounds in those days, um would would bounce this signal back so you could get a kind of oh, it's about three three meters away. And you go, all oh, right, okay, so it's this covered, I have a look in here. Oh, look, there it is. Which just absolutely transformed that bit of the process. And I thought, gosh, posh kit, That's um, that, that does make a difference. And I'm pretty sure I was young or anything like that. Of course, we have now when there's so much mm-hmm. more um, posh kit, uh, you know, the cleverer techniques that have been developed since and all this kind of thing. But it made me see that, you know, when you're comparing things to really understand whether you're comparing like for like. It wasn't the the, the technicians in France in that depot were brighter Mm -hmm. than or worked harder than the guys in um, in the UK, although their productivity was much, much higher Mm -hmm. because in the UK, you could diligently spend your whole shift looking for that fault in a a very sensible approach to the schematic and where it might be and Mm -hmm. not find it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Would you suggest others to do a year abroad, for example, like you did? So, would you suggest people going to different countries and kind of experiencing another company in the same sector but in a different country?
2: Oh, absolutely! It's absolutely fascinating if you get a chance to do that. If that's your bag, you know that um, you know. It depends what stage of life you're at. Being young, free, and single, it's super easy to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I I said I didn't mind where I went in the UK, and I I was I was lucky enough to be sent to Inverness. And that so that was quite another country from where I was living. so um, uh, it was just hard to uh, for other people to understand what I was talking about. But uh, it was much did, easier. Did you in understand Paris. them, though, Rebecca? <laughs> I did, yes, and it was much easier in Paris because um, one of the other things that I enjoyed was um, was was doing French. So I, I kept that up um, in, in, informally, so that I I I could, and that's so important when you're working with a group in a, in another country. To be to understand them fast enough to know when they're teasing you, and then, after a couple of weeks of being with them to be able to dig them back, you know that something is very important
0: you you've mentioned improvements and, and efficiency improvements on the railways, so what are you what are you, is celic rail and network rail doing to improve improve that on the british railways
2: well um One of the things that we're particularly focused on is decarbonisation, so reducing the carbon footprint of the railway. So that's to do with how we um, build and maintain the railway. And I'm particularly excited about maintenance. So um, one of the things that I'm doing is looking at um, how we monitor the railway to check it's okay, and how we identify where there are things that we ought to um, uh, see and sort out go and have a proper look at and sort out so the idea is to shift as much as of that work onto um doing it by machine and do it by collecting loads of data i'm talking terabytes um per month and then processing that and they're really exciting stuff we can do with seriously big data and with machine learning pattern recognition stuff so we've got automated um uh, systems to identify when we squirt a load of lasers at um out from the train and derive a picture a point cloud mm-hmm. picture to work out ah okay so those are the rails and that's ballast you know the gravelly mm-hmm. bits in between and um that's uh, oh that's a tree and that's oh that tree's growing out quite a long way so somebody ought to go in and, and, and maintain mm-hmm. that to to um tidy the tree up um give it a bit of a prune um somewhere in the next few months and then um that's the platform and that's the overhead wires and just to, to to check all the bits that there are and to run it um the algorithm going goes through all of that and then just identifies the the very short list of um things that engineers ought to go and have a look at
1: would you say that um, like we're obviously talking about maintenance right now um and the innovation that that has been in a couple in the past years but um from a, from people who are listening that haven't really aren't engineers for example students that want uh, want to become engineers um what would you tell them to get them into the rail industry because I know um, I had a talk at my school um and um that was um another reason like there was lots of engineers and they were coming in and they were telling us all these exciting things. Um, But I do know that uh, not many schools do that anymore, weirdly. Like they don't have companies coming in telling all the great things about it. So what would you do for people listening right now? What would you say to kind of convince them this is the innovative way to go? This is where where you should come?
2: I think variety. It depends what you're interested in, you know. Mm -hmm. So the thing with the railway industry is, um, it's 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 difficult and it's interesting and it's got such a variety of different stuff. So we talk about railways as a system. So there's, there's signalling and there's... Engineers generally have a very huge variety in their lives, don't they? Whether they're mm-hmm. um, sitting, sorting out an algorithm at, at their desk in their bubble all day or whether they're out, out and about saying, well, saying to the staff that are doing the... Um, the, the maintenance on the, on that equipment, saying, well, how is it that you make that decision? So that what is it that we can train the machine learning to do that would then support you in that better, would save you having to do that, and you could do something more interesting. Mm-hmm. So um and that so that can be very human interactive, or it can be mm-hmm. very um, computery, or it can be very sort of trainsy, if you sort of mean. So there's a huge variety, and you can be, you know very introverted very extroverted you can be the sort of person that chats to other yeah. people on trains or listens to them and then you get feedback and you find out what the customers are experiencing and think, ah oh, that's how they understand it yeah. so this is what we ought to do better if you're excited about the customer experience you know yeah. people would yeah. really mm-hmm. like it if they had more information and so there's a whole digital supply piece as well um and there are bits there are, you know there are mechanical bits moving yeah. that yeah. Uh, so and we have you know big machines i remember i went around a um a factory and uh and they were sort of um they were remachining some um traction motors some, some mm-hmm. little motors mm-hmm. and i thought oh is that is that the size you get because i've been used to huge ones because those are the wor- ones i've worked on when i've been making trains in my year out you know so um um yeah it's
1: yeah, it's
2: what, it's versatile. I versatile. Variety is the thing that about railways. And they have talked to most engineers in the railways, and they've done all sorts of different things. Mm. Very, very different sorts of jobs in terms of people and technology and, and things.
0: Silver Fox proudly supports engineers with all their cable, wire, and pipe labeling requirements. The Fox in the Box thermal printer has the ability to print a whole range of thermal labels with one software, one printer, and one ribbon, saving loads of time for the engineers out there in the field. For more information, contact sales at silverfox.co.uk or call on +44 01707 373727.
1: You talked a lot about the machine learning aspect um, uh, or with the maintenance. Would you say that the transport, I'll say transport industry, not just the rail, but would you say that we're going into a more digitalized software focused industrial sector? Or do you think that there's still a lot of hardware elements that are um, intricate in like as in really important for this industry? Because machine learning is quite a new thing. It's still like a baby in comparison to other stuff. Um, and I see it more and more used like on LinkedIn stuff like that. There's loads of companies that are using it. Do you think we're moving to more towards that than, I don't know, having like our little hardware boxes and like, like you, you know what I mean? As in like that yeah, kind of stuff. I, I,
2: and and really understanding the value of data and joining mm. it up and then the metadata, how we label that data so that mm. we get exactly where it was and mm-hmm. what train it was that saw that. Yeah. And then because it's getting small and cheap, so we can put the small cheap uh, laser hardware that cordell do onto trains and we're looking to put them on on ordinary trains so that you take out the specialist maintenance fleet we don't need what we do instead the monitoring fleet is to put it on service trains and then we get every train that goes by has a look and then you've got really big data and then you can really see the patterns and you can even get to the stage where you can do predictive maintenance on the track and predictive maintenance on the train you can um much better optimize the system to make mm-hmm. it a lot cheaper to run um and a lot more systematic yeah. and then you can use the system much more because you haven't got those special trains running so you've got space on the railway to run more ordinary trains mm-hmm. and you can you can just literally with this um when you're looking at the whole corridor of the of, of the gate well you know if you know that the vegetation is going to be kept very tightly to this length it's about like how short you have your hair cut yeah so you yeah. know you're literally going to be able to see out because you're going to keep your fringe short enough if you keep that very finely short then you can have um quite small specks to look through or something you know
0: yeah, yeah. I, no. I can't think of I the analogy so.
2: but but you can you can cut it a lot and finer the more often you look you only need to trim a millimeter off your hair of your day to keep it out of the yeah. way of yeah. your of your nose yeah. or whatever. <laughs> So then that, that then means that can be much more efficient and exciting. So yeah. yes, you need all the, the, in the railway, there is a steel wheel and a steel rail. Yeah. And the yeah. bit between them is about the size of the top of your thumb It's about two centimetres long and a centimetre wide. That's where the train actually sits mm. on four of those at each end of each carriage, usually. Um, and that that's not changed and that's still very tricky and exciting and there's the whole the how that's lubricated how much you can have um, a, a curve and twist that how that's managed matters but the ways that we can investigate the management of that to make sure it's aligned and optimized are getting more and more digital yeah and it's all exciting <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah I, I, I've just seen I, I only asked the question because I've seen a lot on them um, uh robotic agriculture and stuff like that as in i'm a robotic fanatic i love robots and i see a lot on uh, machine learning when it comes to farming and stuff like that reducing um like having um renewable robots that can plant and harvest and stuff and make our farming agriculture zero um like zero emissions and stuff like that and i did was
2: yeah, curious they are doing, they're doing yeah. robots for train maintenance i went to a lecture oh, yesterday really? um, a seminar about it yeah yeah there's, there's a whole area about robotic train maintenance they've already done some for 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 uh, and they're, what they're what they're prioritizing are the, the bits that's hardest for people to do or horriblest for people to do so yeah. um to clean the windscreen because mm-hmm. that's difficult because you don't want to take water too near the overhead line in particular um and it's difficult because it flies you know flies on windscreens imagine what it's like you know um on a, yeah, on a train right. going at serious speed but it gets you know crusted on so to there are already robots that can do that and then looking at developing that more and more because you know robots are really good at boring jobs
1: yeah
2: and people are not really good at boring jobs no. <laughs> um you know to be systematic yeah we're much better off to 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 program 100%. something to do, so, so yes, understand the ergonomics of things that are hard to reach, physically difficult to do, and also the 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 side of of the, the psychology um, that you know. That's where you get interdisciplinary stuff. Then you know, it's work in engineering teams. You work with other disciplines, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah. No, hundred percent.
2: And as an engineer, they they ask you to do um professional learning.
1: Yeah, CPD yeah,
0: and stuff like CPD.
2: that. Continuous professional development, and I go, and you're supposed to go to lectures, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I just, I just always being challenged, always learning new stuff. It's always exciting, you know. And yes, yeah, sure, I go to loads of lectures and things, but I, what I'm learning is in my everyday, what I'm doing, mm-hmm. all of it.
0: You've <laughs> worked for, for companies, and been employed. But what's it like running? What was it like making the change, to running your own company?
2: quite scary for me as a person i'm normally quite confident about things but um i i like to be secure in my job and then i can get on with having exciting ideas and doing stuff so that was i I, i'm not one of those people who had always been wanting to run my own show kind of thing and Mm. make loads of money i want to do interesting things and make enough money so people are different aren't they so um yeah uh, and, and i'm going back in in the sense of being um significantly uh part-time employed by cordell um to be their business development director so that's a different you know because i and i that one of the most important things for me is to um trust the management so that was my line you know when i started working for myself uh i trusted the management <laughs> um well if you don't it's that uh, yeah, so it's, it, are you in a company where you feel comfortable? I mean, it was really interesting. Um, when we were privatized, because I was in a national company, as British Rail, well, and when we were privatized, we had to re-sign our contracts. Mm-hmm. And I looked at this contract, oh, gosh, this is this is really, really unfair and really dodgy. You could be sent all over the country and all this kind of stuff. Like, How does it differ to the one I'm on at the moment? And I got the one I'm on at the moment out, and they were identical.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: What had changed? My faith in the management. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really, no, really wow. <laughs> and and when you feel comfortable you sign up because you sign up you yeah. know you you want to join it you want a job you know you sign up. Yeah. Um, but um it, and it but that relationship thing of then, when I'm on the other side and I'm trying to um, build a team and encourage people to stay working for me, <laughs> make it personal,
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> um, because I've, I've won all these, these jobs and we need to deliver yeah. them, guys, yeah. as a team, um, then, then it's the other way around. And so it's to understand everybody as an individual and what's important to them.
1: For people that um, are listening, obviously I know quite a few of my um, friends and stuff like that, they want to get into business for themselves, etc. What do you think, um, you can pick either or or both if you wish, Um, what do you think the qualities are to do that and what kind of motivation do you feel is necessary? Because everyone can say that they want to have a business and they want to make a business, but what's the kind of difference between a person that says that and the person who does it?
2: Uh, Luck's a big part, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Luck, confidence, self-knowledge, learning, Mm -hmm. listening. I suppose those are the sorts of characteristics that are successful in whether you're employed or or you do it yourself.
1: Um, As as you said, you didn't want to make loads of money, etc. And I, I know a lot of people... Or go into business for that scenario. So, what was your motivation?
2: Oh, a tremendous buzz from putting a project together. So, mm-hmm. um, I know where there are opportunities that we could make things better in the railway industry. And I know, and then I find out about this technology or this idea or something, and I say, Oh, have you tried that on the railway industry? Or have you tried that there? Or you've done it there? Have you tried it here? And they go, no, I couldn't really find out who to do. Oh, I know Fred there. And then we could, do it. I'm sure they'd be up for it. And they get tremendously excited about it. And I'm sure, will it work here? And exploring all that and then say, and that's particularly exciting when there's an an innovations competition or mm-hmm. something, mm-hmm. because that's a catalyst. There's a reason to do it now. Yeah. Because yeah. if we get a proposal together that's robust in the next month, we can apply for this fund and we can get some money to help us do it. And that can be very effective catalyst. Yeah. And then we can put the best bid in. And if we put the best bid in and we make it work as a team, then that's so exciting because we can actually then win it and deliver it.
1: For, for people listening, do you have any um, places that you went to when you were starting your business to like apply for funding and stuff like that? Was there any websites that you used or was it just an opportunistic situation where it just happened yeah, I'm doing to be that,
2: the... and I'm doing that all the time now. Mm-hmm. So, and I do it either for, on my own behalf or on behalf of other clients. So, I help um, small companies or big companies who want things or who mm. have got things, and I work on putting a team together like that. And then I say, Oh, look, Innovate UK are um offering grants that match this sort of thing that we were thinking about or Mm -hmm. i think you lot could get together and do one of these or you could do one of these but you need some partners i'm wondering about sarah and kevin might help you with this so and then oh yeah i like that or you know so you put i call it a bit posh matchmaking but um but it really is engineering because we're 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 putting together um a credible package of stuff i oh, mean that's why you know we had to shoot on this meeting around a bit because um, my next meeting is with people who are have, have, have just got an opportunity with network rail oh, to oh. to pitch the 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 this small to medium company that's that, or a very mm. small company that's come up with a whole new idea that they've patented mm. and mm. then they're taking it along and taking it along and they say this could be a completely different way to do um uh, points sets of points on the railway mm. um so it's a whole you know it, it is it is something that challenges what i was speaking about earlier about the the, the that junction between the wheel and the rail yeah and yeah. P- proposes a different way of managing that mm-hmm. so um and that's completely weird and out there and ex- but and tremendously exciting and that's that challenge and if people have got that determination that they've a lot of people have worked up these weird and very exciting and you know what do they call it game changing it's very trendy yeah. ideas uh and they're prepared to sort of work on that in their spare time and things and in the meantime earn an income mm. and learn more about the railway industry or whatever it is um or both of those at the same time hopefully then they can incrementally they can get there and try to pitch their 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 you find a thing. niche
1: where things are missing basically
2: yeah, yeah, that's where, yeah. That's... and, and whether somebody's actually up for it because it does depend it's like this luck thing then it's finding the person that will actually Support for all the business you. cases and all the um bis- uh, cost benefit analyses you do and, and all the rest of it it comes down to is someone actually prepared to say yeah give it a go
1: yeah no i, I completely understand that
2: what bits of advice would
0: you give give a young rebecca or or a Another person who you were chatting to, who was thinking about engineering, or was dead set on engineering, what would you say to them?
2: Brilliant, engineering is the best, um, and it, it but it is a mixture of luck and all sorts of things. And you don't you don't have to make decisions forever. Just make you know, do do the next thing, see see the next thing, and um, and that thing about um, like Connor was saying about go and see stuff in different places and um talk to different people and listen to different people and find out stuff um and that's you know have fun it is so exciting and there are so many different ways you can go and and no door closes that you don't look back on it and thinking think oh i'm so glad that closed because otherwise i wouldn't have opened all these Mm. other ones you know if you've got that kind of flexible approach then it's Mm. um ah, it's amazing Mm.
0: would you say that's the that's the key to being a good engineer is that wanting to find things out
2: and make it work Mm. say oh come on guys i know you've all got egos but you know we actually (laughs) want to focus on what we want to achieve here and um (laughs) you know so um and and it takes all sorts i mean and i in and i suppose the key bit is about competency and recognizing what you're good at and what you're not good at and knowing um as i i know i could not um develop a useful bit of code nowadays. I can't remember how to do Fourier transforms but I've heard of yeah. oh, uh, no. no. you know, them. I, <laughs> I, I know what I'm good at and what I'm not good at and I'm good yeah. at talking. So I do the talking. Mm. You know, so um <laughs> is that kind of um respect thing that for other people's bits and what they're good at and when out to shut up.
1: Mm. No. <laughs> um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, that was, that um, wasn't a hint, Rebecca. Don't worry. Oh, no, no,
2: no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, R- Rebecca, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. It was great talking to you about LiDAR, running your own business, and your time in Paris. And I'm sure there are more stories that we haven't even dug down to, but it's been fantastic. It's been so a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time
2: great it's been really fun to meet you too and uh, to the my sort of bottom line is that about being an engineer i think you talk about identity mm-hmm. and that's that's the the most the thing i'm most positive about my identity is i'm an engineer and i love that yeah um yeah. so it's that that i'd like to share more people thanks for listening to this episode of the engineering stories podcast We hope it's given you some insight into another area of engineering. If you're still here at this point, we must be doing something right. So stay tuned for the next guest and in the meantime, share this episode with your friends and family and don't forget to subscribe.